Tom Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm. I am so excited. I've got to tell you, one of the highlights of my week is seeing both of you guys. Wow, I love that. I'm, in I'm, the Oval Room, we're here at News Limited. Yeah. In the Oval Room, like I love this room, Obama. I've got to say, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I got I got dropped here by a taxi driver uh, about a week ago. The taxi driver said to me, "This is where you work." I said, "That's correct, sir." He said, "So this is the building that." <laughs> publishes the Telegraph. I said, that's correct, sir. He said, amazing. He said, <laughs> he said, is there any chance you could go get me a free Telegraph? <laughs> I love it. I love that. All right. I love that. Okay. Uh, gang, this, I, I have not seen an agent long-term be able to write more than $600,000 in GCI year in, year out without having a business unit. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, I got asked by REB... Or an assistant, like, an assistant. to keep it simple. Yes, yeah. an, an, assistant. an assistant. So, uh, guys, about two weeks ago, REB got me to um, announce the top 100 agents at a function. And um, I rocked up there, 5.30, they gave me the list. They didn't want to give it to me beforehand, thinking that I might actually um, tell, t- tell people. So they kept it a big secret, and I got there. By the way, amazing representation from McGrath. Off the top of my head, a third, of the, list, a third of the list would have been McGrath agents. And as I read through the list, I knew most of these agents. A lot of these agents are actually on my real estate gym. And I looked at them, and I knew these agents. And one of the things that I clearly saw... of those agents had an assistant or assistants, Mm. and I would call them, they were epic star members in their team. They had amazing team members in their team, right? So I want to touch on today the concept of going pro and going pro meaning that you need to put an assistant. So, uh, John Troy, your view on the concept of an assistant, um, when do you put one on? Because there's someone out there right now that's listening to this, and I know that they're thinking, hang on a second, guys, it's all fine and well for you, but last year I earned $95,000 for the year. How am I going to pay for an assistant? Yeah. So let's talk about it. a good point. So a couple of things. Firstly, to your point around Epic Assistants, I think that some of the assistants working for our top agents at the moment um, would be amongst the best agents in Australia if they were actually agents. Wow. So I I think there's no doubt. It's a bit like, you know, sometimes when you're watching the rugby league and they pan up to the coach's box and you have the first grade coach and you have their assistant coach who also was a first grade coach. I think that the, 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 the stakes have gone higher and a lot of really good dynamic, especially younger agents, are seeing benefit in joining up with a Top Gun and actually learning from them, helping them grow their business and stay longer before they actually go out and do it themselves. In fact, some may never go out and do it themselves. They might just like working in the team. Well, Ben, ben Colley has got to be a, an example of that, who, who was an assistant for a period of time in his career. Now he Correct. would arguably be one of Australia's best real estate agents. He's, I think he's the number one McGrath agent, isn't Correct. he? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and indeed, in Ben's team, he's a guy called Nick Borden who would in his own right be one of our top agents, but he's chosen at the moment anyway to stay with Ben, which I think is a really smart choice. So I I think there's no doubt that the the world has changed and being, you know, sort of a young 18-year-old assistant that just bangs a bit of admin in is kind of the old school. I think nowadays an assistant is an integral part of the team and, and often is an integral part of the sales and listings and prospecting as well. 
So I think first thing, when do you when do you actually take on an assistant? Well, it's going to be a little bit different for everyone, depending on where you work, your average price, the complexity of your business. You know, for example, you know if you have an auction business and there's a lot of work involved and there's a lot of marketing attached to every sale and open homes and so forth, you might need someone more than if you're working in a market where everything's private treaty and you don't do open homes and so forth. So. Generally, though, when I'm talking to our agents, and we're, as you know, Tom, we're an auction-focused business predominantly, I say to people, I think that you should be able to get to four to five sales a month by yourself without the need. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have one, but I think it's not, it's not sort of the time you must have one until you get to sort of four to six maybe sales. Yes. I don't think you're going to get from six to ten or six to twelve sales a month and some of our agents now every month are doing double digits you know ten to fifteen sales a month um, I don't think you're going to get there without at least one maybe two Troy uh, assistants we call them CSMs customer service managers um, so first thing is I think that you know you've got to look at it and there's no need don't put on an assistant before you need one because it's an expense and a distraction that you don't need. By definition, if you're doing one or two sales a month for the moment, you can definitely ramp that up without the need of an assistant. So you think, John, even at four sales, which is saying doing four opens on a Saturday, all the admin attached to four properties, it's doable on your own? Extremely doable. On Saturdays, I would recommend you hire someone at least to help you at opens because I don't think you can be... Um, doing everything, you know, greeting people, taking names and numbers, handing out brochures, all that sort of stuff, and showing the property. So I think at very least you should hire a casual help on weekends, someone to help you on Saturdays. Could be someone in the office, could be someone that you just hire for just one day a week. But I think in terms of full-time assistance, until you get to at least four sales a month, you should be able to handle it yourself. And then depending on the business, between four and six is probably that twilight zone, and then once you're sort of getting towards five or six sales a month consistently, you absolutely need a team to go to 10 to 12. And once with, a, with a, an assistant, you should be able to go to 10 to 12, 2x without any problem. So that'll be number one. Next thing is how do you afford it? Well, Tom, initially, that's why I'm saying if you're doing one to two sales a month, you know, you probably don't need it and you probably can't afford it, to be quite honest. Um, when you're in that sort of trajectory where you're ramping your business up, but it would still be a burden you can often, I often encourage people to share an assistant because you might have another person in the office that's at a similar stage of their trajectory as you. Why don't you both hire someone and share the costs? And we'll talk about you know, wages and stuff in a minute. Share the costs, halves the costs, and then you, know, you can have an agreement with your colleague that at whoever gets to this certain level first has the right to be able to then take them on as a full-time assistant and then you'll deal with it going forward. Because at some point you'll need someone fully dedicated to your business, in my opinion. So I think the next thing would be, you know, you can afford them by sharing the cost or part-time. It could be. You might find there's someone out there, Troy, that wants part-time work um, and they're happy to come in from 9am to 1pm, four days a week, and therefore you're paying them half or less than half, and yet they're able to actually process your paperwork in the morning while you're perhaps out doing inspections and, and listings and so forth. So you can. there are plenty of ways. You can always find a way to invest in appropriately in an assistant. Um, what are the traits? We, we call them red and blue assistants, just to kind of label them a bit. So a red assistant time in our world at McGrath is someone that is really 100% focused on administration and, and often marketing. So they're not involved in the sales process, they're not talking to buyers and sellers generally, 
They're really just there making sure that you, know, you come in from a listing or an open for inspection or whatever, and they, they grab all the paperwork and all the stuff that has to be processed after that, and then they take that off and they push you back out the door so you can go prospect, list, and sell. A blue assistant, so the first thing generally most agents need is in our world would be a red assistant, someone to take that paper. So John, you, you, you would suggest you go for the red before you put the blue? 100%. Okay. What you don't want to do is increase the amount of paperwork and then the wheels start falling off. Mm. So once you have someone, so let's assume you're doing four sales a month and you hire a red CSM, Troy, and then they help you get to six or seven by freeing you up. At that point, we would recommend you hire a blue CSM, which is someone who actually engages in the process of helping you with buyers and sellers. So they are income generating. Um, now, a good blue CSM can not only help you sell a couple more yourself, but can normally pop one or two extra sales on that they can handle. Could be buyers they're working with. It could be they take on their own listing that they generate through prospecting activity. John, does a, a blue uh, a CSM is that the term you use, CSM? A blue CSM go to listing presentations um, on their own? Depends where they're at. Certainly Nick Borden, we spoke about before, Nick would be highly accomplished to go by himself. But in the early days, no, I would say that the blue CSM is more involved with prospecting and working with buyers. But when it comes to listings, they either refer them to you or they go with you or you go with them. That would be the, the best way. In fact, Troy, you were uh, Blue CSM, I guess, with yep. Bethlehem Richards yep. many years ago. Do you want to talk a little bit about the sort of uh, activities that you would be helping Bethlehem with? Well, after that initial six-month period, I started to move into listing my own apartments. So anything under that $700,000 range with Bethlehem, which was kind of the one- and two-bedroom apartments in her area, um, I would do all the research, the preparation, the paperwork. If Bethlehem was available, we would go together, but if not, I would do that listing appointment potentially on my own. Um, then anything above that level, we would go together. The dedicated roles we had within that team structure was specialised at the listing appointment as well. Yeah. So if I was listing at the listing appointment with Bethlehem, there would be certain things that I would be... Um, enabled to on the agenda to really discuss in depth with the vendor. I think the worst thing and the biggest trap that people can fall into at that listing appointment if they're working with a blue CSM is taking them to the listing appointment and then just having the blue CSM sit there and nod. Mm. Um, they need to be actively involved because again that builds trust and rapport with the potential client or the vendor. So you, Troy, for example, might have become expert at the marketing side. Correct. And marketing you might find advice. the agent, Bethlehem might have said, look, Troy will talk you through the marketing plan we've developed. You know, we've got great background of sales in the area that would say where our marketing is going to come from, and you would then take them through, for example. So I yep. agree that it's. Troy, can I ask you a, a, a few questions because you have had that role? Mm. Um, what are uh, when it worked well with Bethwin and you, you? How often would you meet up? Was there a conversation every morning? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I've actually just put down here some of my notes, dedicated roles, and then the next one, Tom. Um, I don't know, you can't see my piece of paper across right. the desk, but 10-minute whip every morning. It'd be a 10-minute phone conversation. What are the biggest priorities for our day or the highest priorities, right. and what do we need to do? So even though we weren't catching up face-to-face, -face, Bethlehem was going to an appointment, or I was out on the road dropping off a contract or whatever that may be, we knew exactly what was what we had to do for the day. So, so all of a sudden, it also is not about Bethwin or the head agent being a good lister and seller. It's also about someone being a good delegator, yep. a good people manager, because the mm. skill set's changing a little bit. Because what you're saying is that you needed guidance, you mm. needed 
accountability. Yep. You needed to make sure that you're concentrating on doing the right stuff. Um, and that is a, a bit of a new skill set for many real estate agents who have spent three, four, five years where all they've done is hustled to get in front of people, mm -hmm. you know, delivered an unstoppable listing presentation, and then um, did the open and the marketing and the vendor management. All of a sudden, they've got another individual that's sitting there, and they've got to direct that individual. JM, I mean, FC. Just, just on that time, I was going to say there was key competencies that I met along the way as well. So I couldn't go straight into the role and be expected to go and do all those activities. Bethlehem would train and dedicate a lot of time nurturing me in the initial three to six months that did allow me to go and do those things. And a lot of agents are not good at that, Troy. No. I mean, that would be one caveat I'd say to listeners. If you think just hiring someone and then kind of leaving them in the office and going and doing your thing and assuming that they'll figure it out, that's a recipe for disaster. You need to be prepared to allocate and dedicate time and training and be generous in your giving of advice because a lot of people that either become a red or especially a blue CSM, they do have aspirations on being an mm. agent. So there is an expectation that you, know, you will be teaching them some stuff along the way. So I think that's that's really important note. Yeah. Okay, um, Troy, is there any more you want to add on um, your experiences at being a... Watch and learn, that's, right. that's the biggest one. Just everything that you can absorb, be a sponge for knowledge that you can watch. And align yourself with a great agent. Yeah. So it's not just about a job, it's really seeing where your career wants to go and mm. picking the right person that meets with you on a personality level as well. Chemistry, you need chemistry. You need you? chemistry. You need to be able to have that person as a, a business leader, a career builder, but also you want, to have a you want to have a professional relationship or friendship that you can still go and ask questions that you know you can trust them with. Okay. I think we're going to uh, finish up on this podcast. A great line. I can't remember whether... It may have been Rupert Murdoch that actually said this at a presentation once, which was... It may not have been. So I don't want to give Rupert credit that he doesn't deserve it. At the same time... <laughs> Won't change his life. I don't think <laughs> uh, I've got to watch what I say because uh, I'm on the News Corp payroll. Um, work your strengths, outsource your weakness. And um, I love that term because yeah. it talks about doing what you're good at, that you like doing, but just because there's other activities that you don't like doing or you're not good at, it doesn't mean that they don't need to get done. It mm. means that get people to come and help you to get them done. Yeah. I think just a couple of quick points because earlier I mentioned, Tom, that we talk about you know, pay. Yeah. Well, how, do you, how do you find them and what do you pay them? Just briefly. Um, best way to find them, I find, is on the grapevine. Right. Usually, you know, like-minded people hang out. I'd, I'd put the word around your business and say, look, I'm looking for someone. Here's a little job description. Here's what I need them to do. They're a blue or a red CSM. Explain what that means. Speak to your property management team. Because people often hang out with like-minded people. So yeah. if they're working with you, they'll probably have colleagues. So your grapevine? Use your grapevine. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are things like LinkedIn nowadays that you can yeah. use and social media um, that would be good. But grapevine is, is normally pretty good, and we find that we do find a lot of people um, like that. What do you pay them? Well, again, it depends on the role, but I, I would say, obviously, a, a base salary that is appropriate with, with what they would get elsewhere for a similar job. <clears throat> Sounds obvious, but if they're coming out of a marketing or mm. administrative role and they're earning 55000 well, you know, you're going to have to pay them around that sort of money. Um, if they're a blue CSM, again, I, I always find that a base salary plus a bonus commission component 
is the best way to go. But because often blue CSMs are slightly younger, they may not have the financial wherewithal to kind of you know, wait for commissions that might come in three, six, nine months. So I think, again, you need to sit down and talk to them. Uh, I, I would say that most people throughout our business are probably on a base salary of somewhere in about 60, 65,000, Troy, I would think, as a ballpark. Mm-hmm. And then there are some bonuses. The bonuses, sometimes it's per sale, sometimes it's per quarter, based on how the team, how much you grow. And I think there's a bit of flexibility around that. Yep. The beauty of our business, if you go from four sales a month, Tom, to eight, giving them a solid base and a nice bonus is not an issue. Because mm. you've just two extra revenue, and for most people that's adding maybe one, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars in some instances to their bottom line after they've split with their house. So uh, I think that it's a very good thing to do. You need to learn some new skills, and we've given you some today, but that's just sort of a little bit of scratching the surface. You do need to learn some new skills. Um, but I, I think it's, it is the way of the future. And we, you know, we, we refer to EBUs or effective business units. Mm. You know, these are no longer just an assistant that hangs off the side of you. Mm. These are actually people that become a part of your little mini corporation. So very important. Um, again, if you guys have any questions, email them in to Tom. Yeah, um, email them in to me. I'll, I'll just say, finish up on this. A lot of people that are putting on their first assistant are thinking 60-65 that John just said. I think you can actually break it down and understand that it's more like four or five thousand a month. Correct. And if you're doing things right, we're talking about in three or four months, you're going to be getting extra listings and extra sales yeah. coming out of it. The purpose of putting on an assistant is not to take sixty thousand out of your group certificate income. The purpose is that it's going to take your group certificate to another level. Um, and I think that a lot of people sometimes get scared because they say, hey, I earned 150 last year, I'm not in a position to actually spend 60 or 65, but you should be getting a return of your investment in a few months' time if you actually have a good position description, if you learn the skills that JM talked about, about mm-hmm. managing people, and you get them focusing on the right stuff. So I'm, and, I'm and shift from seeing from a cost to an investment, yeah. that should leverage you. To the next level, just like you know, in in other corporations, there are other things. It could be technology you can invest in. For you, this is an inc- very critical asset, which is another person that should be able to get you from 250 GCI or 300 up to five or six, yeah. and then you keep growing. So, uh, but any problems, just email into Tom, and then we'll deal with it on on a future podcast episode. Thank you, guys. Thank you, realestate.com.au again for sponsors of this. We will see you guys next week. Also, quick reminder. Eric is pretty much coming to the next couple the, of weeks. Yeah, Tom. next couple of weeks. Getting close to being booked out, Tom. Yeah, this is <laughs> very exciting. Fantastic. 35 speakers, Gold Coast, 21st, 22nd of May. We will see you there, but we'll also be talking to you next week, guys and girls. See you then. Bye. Bye, guys.